If you would uh, step back in time with me to 1982, December of 1982, and go with me to a place called Georgetown, South Carolina. That's where my in-laws lived at the time, and my wife and I went there to visit. And while we were there, we had made plans, well, I had made a plan to go for a day to visit with a friend of mine from college who had left college and gone to Army Ranger School and was now in Special Forces School at Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Traveling the three hours to Fort Bragg was nothing, it seemed like. And then when I got there, finding him inside the military base, that was the difficult thing. I finally found him, and as we talked, he began to regale me with stories of what it was like to be an Army Ranger, what it was like to train with special forces, the sleep deprivation, the rain, the heat, uh, the, the meals out of a bag, all those kinds of things like that. And he was telling me all of this while sitting there with a cast that went from his hip to the end of his toes. And he looked like he had been through ranger school and basic training for what was going on in terms of special forces. Now, if you come forward with me to this summer, June 2014, the same guy stopped in Mason, Ohio, to talk with me and share with me about what was been going on. We've kept in touch over these years. And what he was doing was coming from Fort Carson, Colorado, on his way to Washington, D.C., and the Pentagon. He was going to the Pentagon to work and to serve, and he was going to begin working on his first star because he was on track to become a general. So as we talked, we couldn't help but laugh about all of the things that he had to go through to get to where he was. And I said to him, I said, has it been worth it? And he says, it has been. He says, the Army has been good to me. And he went through the hard times to get to where he can kind of enjoy the good times. In 1 Peter chapter 5, the same thing happens with 1 Peter. Peter says to us, it's going to be worth it. To go through the suffering and the trials and the tribulations, it's going to be worth it. And he tells us why it's worth it, beginning in 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, beginning at verse 10. So if you would take your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, We'll go through verses 10 through 14 together, and we will find five accomplishments of suffering. Five accomplishments of suffering. Now, Jeff, last week in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19, talked about that we are going to go through it. Uh, Peter says it's coming, a fiery trial. There are difficult times ahead. For some of you, you're not there yet. For others of you, you're in it. And Peter comes to kind of the conclusion of his book and the end of what it is that he has written. And he says, it's going to be worth it. And these are five accomplishments that suffering will bring to your life. So let's look at the first one in verse number 10. In verse 10, he says this. He says, and the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong firm and steadfast to him be the power forever and ever. Amen. The the first accomplishment is reliance on God, reliance on God. What he does is he makes a pronouncement that God will accomplish something. That's what he starts with. And the God of all grace who called you, he's going to do something. You see, as a result of coming through suffering, he is hopeful that you have gotten the message that God is the one that's got a plan. God is the one that has something in mind for you. And so he wants you to build that reliance, that dependence upon him. 
And so as a result of suffering, hopefully you have come to the place of relying upon God. We, we, we know that Peter came to that place. Peter understood what it was like to be reliant upon God. Uh, it was Peter who needed the Lord Jesus to come and heal his mother-in-law. It was Peter who needed the Lord Jesus to come and help him with his fishing business because it wasn't going well. And he got a great catch of fish. It was Jesus who came along and, and helped Peter pay his taxes because he didn't have it. Remember, Peter went and caught a fish and there was enough to pay his taxes inside the mouth of the fish. It was Peter who was in prison in Acts chapter 12, locked up, and who came and rescued him. The Lord Jesus Christ delivered him from prison. So Peter had come, has come to the place in his life where he says, I am reliant upon God amidst all of the suffering that I've gone through. It has been worth it because I am reliant upon him. I'm relying on what he does. Verse 10 says, and the God of all grace, and the God of all grace. Uh, this is not a prayer. This is a conclusive statement of God's grace in suffering. It is a, an affirmation of what God does, the God of all grace. He is the God of all grace, manifold, variegated, colorful grace. It is grace that is sufficient for every situation. There is nothing that catches him by surprise where he says, oh, man, let me go check the book on that. <laughs> is there a manual somewhere that I can look up and try to help you with that? Instead, he has grace that is sufficient for all of those things. The God of all grace. Uh, for me personally, I'm thankful that it doesn't say the God of all judgment. Because sometimes what happens when I'm going through the trials of life, sometimes I get mad at God. I'm unbelieving. I'm angry and upset, and I tell him so. And instead of giving judgment and saying, you know what, I'm tired of you, he says, here's grace. Remember, it was James in James chapter 1 that tells us, you know, when you're going through these sufferings of life, when you're going through the troubles of life, and you, you, you go to God, go to him because he gives generously, and he never scolds you. He never belittles you. He never says, you again? <laughs> You're here again? How many times do we have to go through this before you understand? He never does that. Instead, he is the God of all grace who gives grace for all situations and all circumstances. He is the God of all grace. And notice what he says. He is the God of all grace who called you, called you. And this is not a fearful thing, but a grateful thing. This is a statement that Peter makes and should take us back to grace. Take us back to an understanding that who is doing the calling? He, God, is doing the calling. Who is he calling? Me, the unworthy one. I deserve nothing but judgment and hell. But in his grace, he calls me to himself. The God of all grace. That's what he does for us. And it builds a reliance on God as we go through these sufferings. Who called you? And notice what he, he says. And to the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory. We are talking about between two worlds. That's where we are, right? We're between the worlds. This world and the world to come. And Peter says, the God of all grace who has called you to eternal glory. You see, sometimes we forget that this isn't it. There is so much more. There is eternal glory. There is a place with him. There is visitation and rest with him. God has in his grace, allowed us to experience salvation through Jesus Christ. And he says, I'm going to take you into glory. I'm going to with, be with you in heaven. There is going to be a completeness to your salvation. 
Salvation isn't just for now, it's for later as well. There is a completeness of your salvation that will lead to a residency in heaven with him. The God of all grace who called you. Eternal glory, marvelous statements of what God is capable of doing and we rely on him. Notice what else, as we see our need to rely on him, it says, And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while. After you have suffered a little while. He is making two certainties very clear. First of all, you will suffer. You will suffer. Uh, I'm a little bit of a, I don't know what the right word is. Please don't just fill in the blank. But uh, sometimes I spend an inordinate amount of time uh, online listening to preachers. I, I, I just enjoy it. And it is amazing to me that some preachers who are considered popular and are in demand by, you know, the number of hits on their sites, how they try to inundate us with this thinking that trust God, become a millionaire. Trust God and be prosperous. Now, I'm not saying those things are mutually exclusive, But I am saying to you that we are guaranteed that in life there will be troubles. Jesus said it, remember? Because of me, you're going to have tribulations. Because of life and the fact that we're still incarcerated in our flesh, there are things that will come as a result of that. Suffering is a certainty, and Peter says that here. So that's the one certainty. You will suffer. But notice the second certainty. The second certainty is for a little while. For a little while. You see, the suffering that we go through is temporary. It is for a short duration. Now, I know you're sitting there, some of you perhaps, and you're thinking, it seems like forever that I have been in this situation. It seems like forever I have experienced this difficulty, this trouble, this this suffering. But please remind yourself of the promise that Peter writes in making this statement and saying it's for a little while. It has a duration. It is temporary. Uh, The Apostle Paul understood the same kind of thing. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, he wrote this. He said, therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wearing and wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far far outweighs them all. Notice what Paul says. He says it's light and momentary trouble. And the reason why he says that it's light is because in view of what eternity brings, this is simple, not so complex as we like to make it. Now, I'm not trying to belittle or minimize anyone's suffering, but just in light of eternity, the suffering and the troubles that we are experiencing are light and momentary compared to the glory and the grace that God will give to us when we experience heaven. It is but for a moment. It is temporary. Uh, Even in his own book, if you turn to 1 Peter 1, verse 6, uh, Peter says this. He says, In all this you greatly rejoice, Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. A little while. A temporary experience. He is affirming to us 
that as a result of the suffering, we come out of it relying on God because he is the one that allows it and he is the one that keeps it tempered to a certain point of time. And then I love the way he finishes out. See what he does here? And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus after you have suffered a little while will himself, will himself. As if we didn't catch the beginning. The God of all grace himself, he's going to do this. He's going to be there. He's going to be the one that keeps track of of what's happening in life. He is going to be the one that is watching over you and understands that the moment may be going a little bit long, so I'm going to bring it to its conclusion. The God of all grace, he himself. One writer said this, It is not merely fortuitous or instrumental helps that are promised, but God's own active intervention and personal presence. I will be there. I will be there. I will be there. Psalm 138, verse 7 says this, Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the anger of my foes. With with your right hand, you save me. That's David talking about God. Now, God does use other things in a marvelous way, and we don't always understand, and I don't always understand how God does bring suffering to its conclusion, but we have the promise that we can rely on him to make this right. Now, last week, Jeff made a, a, a point that I just want to kind of touch on here. Suffering is tough and can be crushing. And, and, and some of you know that very well. And so uh, we aren't trying to, you know, make sunshine and rainbows come flittering in and seemingly, but we are trying to help you to understand that you may not handle it, but God will. You may not make it through, but God will help you through. Just in my own week, I heard of a son who lost his mother. I heard about a husband who lost his wife. I, I, I watched as a family shed tears over their best friends moving out of Cincinnati to California. A, a father being released from a hospital uh, tied to an oxygen tank with the, uh, with the prognosis that his life will soon come to an end. These are true and burdensome and terrible things that people endure and have to go through. And what Peter is saying is you don't have to do it alone. You can rely on God who is full of grace, who says the suffering is there, but it's only temporary, and he himself will be with you through that suffering. So it is not as though you think, I can do this. Instead, it's you think we can do this. You and God together. Working, trusting, understanding what it is that God has for you. You see, the point of suffering is to make you dependent on him. So the first accomplishment of suffering is reliance on God. Please notice the second accomplishment of suffering is in verse 10 as well. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, Jesus, in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you, restore you. That's the second accomplishment in suffering. He will restore you. He will mend you. That which is broken is mended. Suffering can break you. Suffering can tear you apart. But Peter says, 
God in his grace can restore you, make you complete, make you fit. A picture, if you would, in your mind, the fisherman's net. And the fisherman's net, because of use and wear, it sometimes breaks. And you can't use it anymore, right? Because the fish go through the net. But what he uses this word restore, it's the idea of the net coming back together and being mended. Uh, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, where he, he says uh, that ye who are stronger, restore the one that has stumbled and bring them back to usefulness. It's the idea of setting a bone in your leg. You know, your leg is broken. You restore it so that you can use it. That's the idea here. This is the idea that Peter is trying to help us to understand. Sometimes when we go through suffering, it is such a horrific time and so hard that we think, I can't do anything for God anymore. We feel as though we have been broken. And God says, you know what? I'm here to restore you, to mend you, to bring you back to usefulness, to bring you back to the point where you can do something for his sake and for his glory. If you would take your Bibles and look at verse 13. In verse 13, uh, Paul, uh, Peter writes about, he says at the end, and, and so does my son Mark. You know who that Mark is? That Mark is John Mark. Uh, and he's an example of one who was restored. I don't know if you know the story, but uh, Paul and Barnabas were talking about taking people with them on their missions journey. And Paul says, I'm not taking John Mark. You see, John Mark was a young man and he had some difficulties. He really didn't enjoy the travel and he didn't want to do it. And so he told Paul, I'm leaving. And once he quit, Paul says, I'm done with you. But Barnabas says, no, I'll take him and I will use him and get him to where he needs to be. And God, in his marvelous grace, restored Mark to the ministry, brought him back in. And now he is mentioned in the book of First Peter because he became one of Peter's most favorite traveling companions. He also became the author of our gospel, Mark. That's the idea here. The idea is when you go through hard times and sometimes you even feel as though you've been broken, God comes and says, I'm going to restore you. I'm going to restore you because of my grace. Because of my grace. He tells us and helps us to understand that he will mend us and restore us. When I was a little kid, I wanted a bike so badly. And I, I, I remember begging my grandpa for a bike. And he says, well, I'm not going to go buy you a bike. And so we start looking through this old garage, and he finds this beat-up old bike. And I'll never forget how he took it and pulled it apart, and I don't even know how he did it. But the next thing I know, it's got a, a seat and handlebars and wheels, and I'm standing there looking at this bike, and I'm thinking, look where it was. Look where it is. I get to ride this thing now. And it was the perfect model for me because it fit me. I was just little. It was little. I got on it, and I rode it. That's the same thing that happens. We can look around and think, I, I just can't imagine how this can all fit together. But God in his marvelous grace says, I'm bringing your life back together. I'm mending your life. I'm setting your life. I'm restoring your life so now you can be used again. Now, let's pause for just a moment. These are promises, not explanations. I wish I could explain everything to you, but I can't. I wish God would explain everything to you because I know you have questions, but he doesn't. He will. In heaven, if you really want to know, he'll explain it to you. But these are just promises, and some of you forget the promises. And when you forget the promises, then life becomes more of a struggle Please know that in his grace, he will restore you. In spite of the brokenness, 
in spite of the pain, in spite of what you felt, God will bring you back through his grace. These are promises that he gives to us and wants to accomplish for us. In 1 Peter chapter 5, he tells us that you need to come out of suffering reliant upon God. You need to come out of suffering restored to his work. And notice the third thing that he says. The third thing that he says, uh, that God himself will restore you and make you strong. Make you strong. He will make you resilient. That's the third accomplishment. He make you strong, establishing you. If we must suffer with trust, if we are suffering, we must trust in Christ to burn away the dross. You see, sometimes we forget that in order for steel to be tempered, it has to go through the furnace. In order for something to be strong, the heat has to come. And God brings the heat so that we come out of it as tempered steel. We come out of it stronger because of it. We are resilient. Uh, The book of Zechariah, the children of Israel were a mess, right? They were always up and down. And finally, Zechariah is prophesying to them. And he says to them, this is what God says to you. God says, I will strengthen you. I will save the tribes. I will restore them because I have compassion on them. They will be as though I had not rejected them, for I am the Lord their God. That's what he's telling us. He's saying to us, we're going through this suffering, and he is burning away all that stuff that makes you weak, all the things that keep you from being the strong one that you need to be. He burns that away so that you can be what you want to be. I I, I have a friend who is a jeweler. And whenever there is a dip in the economy, people come rushing to him and try to sell their, their, their gold, right? They want cash for their gold. And a lot of times they bring him stuff, and he, right there in front of them, will put the heat to it and, and burn it so that they see that it's really worthless because there's nothing there but dross. And he shows them, too, okay, here's the gold part. You can see there is value here. And that's what happens in sufferings and trials. God burns away that stuff that is not necessary and brings the stuff that we need to be strong to help us through and to make us what he wants us to be. So he tells us that when we go through suffering, we are reliant upon God. We are restored. We are resilient. And look at verse 10 again. He tells us this. He said, restore you and make you strong, firm, firm. The idea of firm is the idea of ready, active for service. You're strengthened. You are ready to fight. You see, the test of ministry is to motivate and discipline yourself, right? And when the difficult times come, are you ready to act and stand firm when it's over? Peter is saying, yes, you've gone through this. And look at the process. The process is God restores you. He makes you resilient, burning away the dross. And once you're resilient, what do you do? You're ready to go. You're ready to do something more for him. Again, the the life of Peter. I I can't help but imagine that as Peter is sitting there and, and writing these things, that he can't picture the words and the image of what it was like that night when he said to the Lord Jesus, don't worry about me. I'm going to be fine. And the Lord said, you know what? The devil has chosen you. He's going to get you, Peter. And you're going to deny me three times before this night is over. And Peter was like, oh, no. But don't miss this. As part of what Jesus said, Jesus said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. 
But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. You see what Jesus is saying to Peter? You're going to fall, but once you have turned back, minister to somebody else. Strengthen your brothers. We go through suffering not just for ourselves. Now, Now, stay with me here. Sometimes what happens when we've gone through something and then someone comes to us and says, you know what, I'm going through something, we'll often go, oh, wait, that's nothing. You would not believe what I've been through. That's not what Peter's saying. Peter's saying, you know what, now you're ready, and so as a result of what you've gone through, your ears are sharp, and you're able to listen to that person. And it's not becoming one of these games of one-upsmanship. It's not a game of, you know, I'm, I've gone through harder times than you have. My life is worse than you. It's not that. Peter is saying, now you've gone through this. Now you are ready to minister, to encourage, to help. There is a readiness that comes as a result of the dross being burned away. And finally, he tells us in verse 10 and 11, he finishes this thing off. He says that uh, he will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. Firm and steadfast. The idea of steadfast is resolute. Resolute. That's the fifth accomplishment. As we go through these trials, when we come out of them, we are resolute. We are steadfast. We have God who has laid a foundation so that when we meet sorrow and suffering, we are driven to the very bedrock of our faith. And we have a solid foundation upon which we stand. And we say, you know what? I can withstand what is coming. There is a a future battering and buffeting of the storms of life. But we are steadfast. We are resolute in our belief that God himself will get us through this. Resolute. Notice verse 11. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Don't you love the way Peter ties things up? Who did he start with? The God of all grace. Who does he end with? To him. What's the antecedent of him? God. And when he's talking about power, he's talking about dominion, control. To him be the dominion. Sometimes I wish that it would be me that had the power, right? I wish I had power and control. But you know what would happen if I had the power and control? It would be a mess because I wouldn't have the full understanding. He says to him, to God, and not to others. Sometimes that's what we do with our life, isn't it? Well, you know, my friend said, you know, well, my sister said, well, you know, my brother told me that this is the way. Sometimes you need to say, what does God say? What does God want? Because he is the one that's in control. He is the one that has the dominion, the power. So why not see what it is he has to say? What it is that he wants for you forever and ever. Now, this is nothing uh, revelational to people that know me, but I am not a craftsman. I, I I was just joking with someone between services. You know, if my house needs repair, you know, I get the duct tape out. Well, you know, what else are you going to do? I call someone. I do that as well. I I am not handy with anything, and and I admit that, and that saves me a lot of heartache. You know, and the thing about it is, there are people that are, and there is nothing greater than watching someone who knows what they're doing do something. Is there? There's nothing more satisfying than to say, okay, here was the problem. The guy walks in and fixes it. 
Now, one of the things that I'm particularly in awe of is plumbing and electrical. If you can do plumbing and electrical, I'm not kidding, I will be on my knees most of the time you're working in my house because I'm so impressed by that. I, I tried to put a fan in my house. Well, now it's on a chain. It used to be on a switch. You used to have a fan. The fan doesn't work. I, I don't know why I tried. Because I don't know that stuff. You see, that's the thing. The beauty of somebody that knows what they're doing that can fix the problem. We see it in life in so many places. Then why don't we look to God and say, you know what? It's broken. Will you fix it for me? It's broken. Will you have the dominion and power over it? Because that's the way it is. Forever and ever, he is in charge. He closes verse 11 and tells us that God has the ability to keep under control, to acquire and to retain the mastery. He is the master. He is the one in control. One of the trades that I love as well is glass blowing. You ever seen glass blowers work? I love to watch that. Because they take something that looks like a blob and turns it into a vase. And they do it with heat. And they handle it so precisely and so beautifully. The mastery that they have is just marvelous. That's the same mastery that God has. If we submit to him and are reliant upon him, he brings that same sense of what was a blob into this beautiful vase, creating our lives in such a way as to reflect his glory. Peter wants us to understand that the suffering and trials and troubles that we're going through are accomplishing something in our lives. Esther Kerr married a pastor. Uh, his name was Rushthoy, and she submitted her life to his. And they lived together, and she became an author and a poet. But her life was, was filled with chronic illness. She never could quite get to where she wanted physically. It was a suffering and a trouble that she endured her entire life, finally succumbing at a very young age to death. But before she died, she penned these words in a hymn. She says, Oft times the days seem long, our trials hard to bear. We're tempted to complain, to murmur and despair. But Christ will soon appear to catch his bride away, all tears forever over, in God's eternal day. And then the chorus goes like this. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. Peter is telling us the same thing. It's going to be worth it. The suffering and the troubles are worth it. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for what it is that you do in bringing us to a place of knowing that your word is sufficient. Father, we we walk away sometimes and we forget that we should be in your word, but allow the words of Peter to, to remind us not only for his words, but there are others, other things in your word that can encourage us as we go through the times of difficulty. Help us, Lord, to honor you and to do our very best to please you as we go through the troubles of life. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Have a wonderful week.